0: Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. As we move on from the War of the Last Alliance and into a time of peace. It occurs to me that yet again we have another situation in the history of Middle Earth. That we can draw parallels to Tolkien's own life. If we were to consider the Last Alliance to be similar to a Last Alliance that Tolkien experienced himself in World War I... A coming together of all of these countries in order to stop bad things from happening in Europe. Then the time between World War One and World War Two would be this period of relative peace. And we see that happen in Gondor. In this episode, we're going to dig into that. And then there is another conflict at the end of this peaceful period and in Tolkien's life that was only 30 years 30 years between World War 1 and World War 2 there are similarities here it was commonly thought at the time of World War 1 that this was the war to end all wars there were more casualties the conflict was bloodier More difficult than any other conflict in history. The populations were decimated. Decimated, literally, the word decimated means one in ten killed. It doesn't mean, we use it incorrectly in our own society today, it doesn't mean everybody mostly was destroyed. It means one-tenth of the population or one-tenth of the army was killed. The Great Britain that Tolkien returned to was missing 6% of its male population by the end of the war. Other statistics show that 12.5% of soldiers serving did not return home. The difference in the 1921 census was that for every 100 males, there were 109 females. In the population, an almost literal decimation, over 880,000 people did not return to Great Britain. How does a population deal with that? What are the outcomes of so many people? Not returning home to work on their farms, in their factories, to be parts of their communities, to raise their children, to be husbands to their wives. The world changed. And in the land of Middle-earth, the populations of Gondor and of the elves were similarly decimated. So let's dig into the long, middle years of the Third Age and find out what happens. The section of the text that we're digging into today begins Right after the Battle of the Last Alliance. This is the end of the Second Age and the beginning of the Third. And like other passages in the Silmarillion, we get kind of these big jumps from one major event to the next. And Tolkien here, or at least Tolkien and Christopher Tolkien, uh, didn't specifically lay out the years. But we know what the years are from other documents based around this story and some of the other events that happened, the line of kings, the lengths of their days, all of that. So in today's episode, I'm going to be taking you through the highlights of this section and helping you understand as the years progress, when each of these events actually happen. So it begins with this section. It says, "Valandil took up his abode in Anumanas, but his folk were diminished and of the Numenorians and of the men of Eriador, there remained too few to people the land or to maintain all the places that Elendil had built. In Daggerlad and in Mordor and upon the Gladden fields, many had fallen. Remember, I talked about the decimation of a population. That's a lot of what's happening here. After the war, people returned home, but there weren't enough people left to maintain all of the land that originally had been settled and we don't know that this is a decimation in fact this may be greater than that it sounds like even more than a tenth of the population didn't make it back it goes on and says and it came to pass after the days of erinder e-a-r-e-n-d-u-r the days of erinder or there's probably a rolling of an R in there. Errindir. I can't do it very well. Uh, the seventh king that followed Valendil, that the men of Westernness, the Dúnedain of the North, became divided into petty realms and lordships, and their foes devoured them one by one. This is, and it sounds like a short decline, this is a long decline of the Northern Kingdom. Erendur lived between 640 and 861 of the Third Age. Remember, these Dúnedain have longer lifespans. That's 221 years. He began ruling in 771 when he inherited the crown from his father. This is already 700, almost 800 years into the Third Age. And the population is not coming back. In fact, it's dwindling and different warlords are taking control of different areas, splitting it into petty realms and lordships and being divided by their foes. It doesn't note here specifically who their foes are. It may be other men or bands of orcs or other things that are now Presenting themselves as a problem for these people in the North. It says, Ever they dwindled with the years, until their glory passed, leaving only green mounds in the grass. I like that image, this idea that this civilization was removed. And... The green mounds aren't the only things they leave. Obviously, there are buildings and structures and things like that. We see those in the Lord of the Rings. Weathertop is one such location. But the green mounds, those are burial mounds. Those are barrows, which we also see in the Lord of the Rings. They skip that part in the movies. But that is a thing. These remains of a lost northern civilization dot the landscape and think about the timeline here this is 800 800 and something AD by the events of the lord of the rings were over 2000 years in the future for our society that's like coming upon roman ruins and wondering who used to live here it's the same kind of thing the people in the future of middle earth are just as puzzled in some places those less educated by their history of what this is and who these people would have been and here we get to the description of what is left of these people and how there are still people left from the northern kingdom how that relates to this line that descends to aragorn it says at length not was left of them but a strange people wandering secretly In the wild, and other men knew not their homes, nor the purpose of their journeys, and save in Imladris, in the house of Elrond, their ancestry was forgotten. If it wasn't for the elves, if it wasn't for Elrond maintaining a history of their people, the descendants of the kingdom of Arnor, the descendants of the line of kings from Elendil, would not have known who they were. And speaking of the descendants of the line of the king, it says, Yet the shards of the sword were cherished during many lives of men by the heirs of Isildur, and their line from father to son remained unbroken. This is important. This is how 2,000 years later Aragorn knows that he's still descended from the king. In fact, he has a witness who helps raise him. <laughs> Elrond himself can say, I knew your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or however many greats that would be. I know that you are the descendant. I've watched the line and the history of this. There is no doubt. And can you imagine being descended of the line? Being one of these descendants at different points in history, looking at this broken sword, remembering the greatness that you came from, and yet looking around and seeing that you are a people who are scattered in the wilderness, living in the wilds, where did your civilization go? How do you get it back? And yet, during all of this time, the events in Gondor play out very differently. It says, in the south, the realm of Gondor endured, and for a time its splendor grew until it recalled the wealth and majesty of Numenor ere it fell. High towers the people of Gondor built, and strong places and havens of many ships, and the winged crown of the kings of men was held in awe by people of many lands and tongues. Gondor during this time bounces back. It does not fall into disintegration the way that the northern realm does. Its people grow to splendor again. They build the towers, ships, the white tree blooms, everything looks like it's going well, just like during the height of Númenor. And this references other people. There are other people groups in Middle-earth still that aren't necessarily part of the Gondorian kingdom, these other groups of people. And some of those people are the men of the East who were corrupted and are still under this corruption of Sauron, because he hasn't fully gone away. That's where he goes. He heads off into the East in order to hide out and regain his strength. And while he's out there, he's still corrupting people. Just his presence at all is corrupting these other human tribes and and peoples. But that's not the only other people out there. There are other tribes and groups of people out living in the wilds. They have their own communities and their own villages and things like that. And many of them get to know the Gondorians as being very noble, very high. They have advanced technologies and strong armies compared to some of the people just living out on the land. And then it goes on and says, for many a year, the white tree grew before the king's house in Minas Anor, the seed of that tree, which Isildur brought out of the deeps of the sea from Numenor and the seed before that came from Avalone and before that from Valinor in the day before days when the world was young. And we're again reminded of this lineage that the people of Gondor, the kingdom of Gondor descends from all of these great kingdoms in the past and carries that responsibility with them to be a literal light for the people of Middle-earth, just like those ancient trees. But this doesn't last forever, just like so many of the other things in Tolkien's stories. This doesn't last forever. The very next line says, Yet at the last, in the wearing of the swift years of Middle-earth, Gondor waned, and the line of Meneldil, son of Anarion, failed. And there's a strange, well, what you could consider a strange justification, potentially, for why this is. It says, For the blood of the Numenoreans became much mingled with that of other men, and their power and wisdom was diminished, and their lifespan was shortened, and the watch upon Mordor slumbered. This idea that they come from this higher bloodline, this ancestry, that gave them certain qualities that other men didn't actually have, uh, like longer lifespans, but also wisdom and a respect for their history and a focus on keeping Mordor at bay. But there's more to it than just a mixed bloodline. There are some things that happen to the Gondorians during this period, that are actually orchestrated by Sauron, and yet they are unaware, at least for some of them, that they are under attack. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to welcome our new patrons, Wesley H., Dominic C., and Jonathan B. Welcome to the Patreon, and thank you so much for your support. I hope you are enjoying the ad-free episodes, and if you're getting the bonus episodes, all of that stuff, and maybe even T-shirts and things like that, go check out patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast for more information about how you can help support the show and all the cool stuff you can get, including, like, 80 bonus episodes? 80, like, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot of bonus episodes. Um, Also, I'm going to read out the, uh, this, this is getting really long. I read out the VIP patrons every week. I'm going to put this at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. If you want to hear your name, get called out because it kind of creates a big, jump in the middle and then also we don't have any new reviews this week but if you'd like to help out the show by leaving a five-star review on apple Podcasts, i'll read it out on a future episode you're also welcome to rate the show on spotify tell your friends share it with your mom uh play it during a long trip with i don't know people you hang out with during the holidays i don't know whatever whatever you want to do to help me out that that helps i can't do this without all of you so thank you for all the support all right let's move on with the rest of the show All right. So I mentioned a way in which the people of Gondor were under attack and they didn't quite understand what this was. It says here in the days of Telemnar, the third and 20th of the line of Meneldil. And so we have a name here. So we know a time period. Telemnar was the king of Gondor in 1634, but only served for two years. And there's a reason for this. The quote goes on and says, a plague came upon dark winds out of the east, and it smote the king and his children. This plague was created by Sauron. Sauron returns to this section of the world. During this time period is when he sneaks over to Dol Goldor in Merkwood and starts corrupting the woods. This is why Merkwood is so creepy and scary come the time of The Hobbit. But during this period, he cooks up a plague and releases it into the world. And it has a huge impact on the Gondorian population. This is an attack. It's just not the kind of attack that they're used to. And again, we're not given specific numbers on how many Gondorians died and other peoples in Middle-earth during this time. But it was enough for, quote, the forts on the borders of Mordor to be deserted. But it also sets up something else as well. Minas Ithil was emptied of its people, and evil entered again into the Black Land secretly. And the ashes of Gorgoroth were stirred by a cold wind, for dark shapes gathered there. It is said that these were indeed the Uleri, whom Sauron called the Nazgul, the Nine Ring wraiths that had long remained hidden, but returned now to prepare the ways for their master. For he had begun to grow again. This plague opens up the, the barrier to Mordor. For the Ringwraiths to go back. And even though Sauron is biding his time in other locations, they are preparing his main stronghold. Drawing back in the orcs. And starting to put pressure again on Gondor. And then things come to a head. It says in the days of Ernil, Now, who is Ernil? This is Ernil the second. He is pretty far down the line of kings. This is during the 1940s in the third age. So now we're at the end, toward the end of the second millennium. It says they came by night out of Mordor over the passes of the mountains of shadow and took Minis Ithil for their abode. This is when that happens and they made it a place of such dread that none dared to look upon it thereafter it was called Minis Morgul the tower of sorcery and Minis Morgul was ever at war with Minis Anor in the west then osgiliath remember Asgiliath their capital city that's on the river between Minis Anor and Minis Ithil what was Minis Ithil Then Asgiliath, which in the waning of the people had long been deserted, became a place of ruins and a city of ghosts. We see this in the movies when they're in Asgiliath. There are just the ruins of these what used to be majestic walls of a city, these buildings and and things like that. But that's all gone. And this was a thousand years before the events of the Lord of the Rings. The city went into ruin. But Minis Anor endured, and it was named anew Minas Tirith, the Tower of Guard. And there the kings caused to be built in the citadel a white tower, very tall and fair, and its eye was upon many lands. Now I have to wonder if that's not just the height of the tower that can look out at great distance, but maybe also the palantir that still resided at that location and the people here are rebuilding they're they're losing their population but they're not giving up they're building new towers they're standing proud and they do so for another thousand years it says here Proud still and strong was that city, and in it the white tree still flowered for a while before the house of the kings, and there the remnant of the Numenorians still defended the passage of the river against the terrors of Minas Morgul, and against all of the enemies of the west, orcs and monsters and evil men, and thus the lands behind them, west of the Anduin, were protected from war and destruction." So when we reach the time of the Lord of the Rings and the people of Gondor are saying, where were you? Who has been protecting you for all these years? It's been them for centuries, millennia. But already during this time period, things are looking grim. Their descent to the point that they were at in the Lord of the Rings has begun. And we end this episode with a really interesting story. It says still ministereth endured after the days of Ernur, son of Ernil, and the last king of Gondor. He it was that rode alone to the gates of Minas Morgul to meet the challenge of the Morgul Lord, the king of the Nazgul. And he met him in single combat. This is in the year 2050. And yes, this happens. There's conflict during the time. Gondor is being pressured by the armies of Mordor that are being managed by the Witch King. He is their greatest enemy as far as they know right now. They don't have any word of where Sauron is and what he's doing, but they know that the Nazgul are there, right on their border. And they keep pushing in up against the river. And so, he's given... A message from the Witch King that says, meet me in single combat if you want to save your people. Something like that. We don't have the actual words, but I would imagine it's something like that that draws him out. And we get sort of a Fingolfin versus Morgoth kind of moment here, where basically during a very dire situation where... the hero's people are being encroached on by the enemy and looking for a solution to something that just keeps getting worse, the leader of their people goes to confront their enemy one-on-one. And I have a feeling somebody like Erner, a descendant of the line of Numenorean kings, would have known the story of Fingolfin, would have known that Fingolfin stood toe-to-toe with Morgoth in order to try to save his people. And he would have known that Fingolfin lost, but that the enemy came forth and faced him alone. And I'm sure, looking into the situation, he thinks that this may play out in a similar way, and that he, he was a great warrior. He was somebody who had a lot of experience on the battlefield. He was known for his prowess. He is not going up against Morgoth. He's not even going up against Sauron. He's confronting the Witch King. And maybe this is an opportunity to cut the head off the snake, as far as he can tell. But the Witch King is not Morgoth. When Erner goes and confronts him, we're told that he was betrayed by the Nazgul and taken alive into the city of torment, and no living man saw him ever again. The Witch-King was not honorable. This was a trick from the beginning. It was a trap. He arrived by himself, ready to fight at the gates of Minas Morgul, and instead was captured, probably tortured, and killed. Arnor was the last of the line of kings of Gondor. It says, Now Arnor left no heir, but when the line of kings failed, the stewards of the house of Mardil, the faithful, ruled the city and its ever-shrinking realm. This is why, in the Lord of the Rings, the line of stewards are ruling Gondor. And part of why they are so hesitant to give up the crown to this Aragorn who comes from some lineage of the Kingdom of the North and somebody who claims to be of the Lion of Elendil, who is the rightful king. But they've been ruling for a thousand years. They're the ones who have been dying at the hands of the forces of Mordor for centuries in order to keep everyone else safe. You can see why there's some uh, hesitation there. But before we get to the end of this passage, we end up with a fun little mini story here. You ever wonder how the Rohirrim came to live in the lands just north and west of Gondor? That happens at about this time as well. The horsemen of the north came and dwelt in the green land of Rohan which before was named Calinardun and was a part of the kingdom of Gondor. And the Rohirrim aided the lords of the city in their wars. And northward, beyond the falls of Roros and the gates of Argonath, there were as yet other defenses, powers more ancient, of which men knew little. This is referencing the elves who still dwell in Lothlorien and also work to keep the land safe against whom the things of evil did not dare to move until in the ripening of time their dark lord Sauron should come forth again and until that time was come, never again after the days of Arnil did the Nazgul dare to cross the river or to come forth from their city in shape visible to men. What this tells me is that Sauron had accomplished everything that he planned. He destroyed the population again with a a plague, and he removed their king. The line of kings ended, and he did all of this with such minimal effort all a thousand years before he finally came to his full power again, or at least close to it, in order to Try to wipe out mankind, or at least the good men, the descendants of Numenor, completely. Thanks for tuning in, and it is time to talk about our VIP patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Aragorn the Third, Austin C, Azel Razzle, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, David S, David M, Drupal Esoteric Rage, Fulcom, Gav- Gavin, Gavin a laugh, I goofed that one, uh, Gerald CFC, Gemma D, Jesse P, Katie S, or I'm sorry, Katie L, Katie S, Kate L, Katie S not doing very well today, am I? o 009, Larry, Lori B, Nick K, Nick L, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Sam B, Swiggy Sue, TJT, Tour Son of Hoor, Tyler M, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you for being here. I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.